Welcome to the Medical Management Podcast, a podcast focused on helping you level up your practice. Through interviews with some of the most successful leaders in the industry, we help uncover resources, tools, and ideas to help you level up your practice. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Welcome back to the Medical Management Podcast. This is Jay, your host, bringing you yet another informative episode. Today, we get to spend a lot of time with Jesse Arnoldson, our co-host here, and have, have a deep dive into one of the most pressing issues that all of our clinics are experiencing right now, which is recruiting and retaining employees and good employees at that. Jesse, welcome back. Hey, everybody. And let's kick this off. You know, the place to start is what are we hearing about? And let's get a deeper dive into that. What are yeah, we hearing but, about with recruitment? Yeah. You know, I think using the Boise area, the Treasure Valley as, as a way of painting the picture, we are, I think that we've been struggling for a little while on finding good people, you know, not as many applicants, not as many qualified applicants. The applicants that we are getting aren't converting into interviews or, or getting very far down the road before we, you know, they either ghost us or they take another job or we just, you know, they're just not the quality that we're looking for. Yeah. They, they schedule them. Yeah. Yeah. But half of them don't show, right? It's amazing. That's a universal thing. It's a, it's a universal thing. And we've talked in other episodes how to avoid that, but you know, it's even worse now. I think that for our current employees and for ourselves as well, we all have been running this COVID marathon and we thought we were at, you know, at the end over the summer, it was feeling really good. And we were turning the corner thinking we'd see the finish line. And we realized we had, you know, another hundred miles to go. And I think a lot of us are hitting the wall. That's what a lot of our MAs and nurses and receptionists and providers, administrators are, their resiliency canteen is empty and we're, we're hitting, you know, some troubled areas there. And so people are leaving thinking that maybe a a change in scenery is going to help them. Some of them are just going to take some time off. Some of them are reducing hours or going back to school but whatever it is that they're doing, the end result is that our clinics are being left understaffed. And then to add on top of that, everybody's feeling the pinch at the same time, including these big hospitals. And the hospitals, not only are they feeling the pinch, but you know, agree or disagree with why they're doing vaccine mandates. And a lot of staff are leaving the hospital systems for that. And you know, in a crisis, especially with increased COVID admissions and ICU bed occupancy, there is no not staffing. And so they're offering huge dollars for anybody to come and work. And so, you know, the competition has just become cutthroat. And I I think that we're about to see it be even worse. That's what we're facing in the Boise area. But as I've reached out and as other people in our MedMan team have reached out to those in in surrounding states and across the country, it's the same in each community. You know, maybe the variables change a little bit, but we're all facing this dumpster fire in a crap tornado situation with recruiting and retaining good people. Jesse, absolutely. You know, and we've been feeling this pain. You know, I think it really started 12, 13, 14 months ago, but it's just progressively gotten worse. We're all exhausted. We're tired. Let's jump into some actionable items that some of our listeners can take away. You know, what can we do? Is there anything we can do rather than just try to make it to the end of the week, grab a bigger, yeah. you know, instead of grabbing your 
<laughs> your pint of beer, you're going to get a, a growler, take it home. Like what, what's, what's, <laughs> what is really, what can we do besides just, uh, yeah. you know, besides just become an alcoholic, all of us, or yeah, you know, just, just yeah. increase the vice. And, and <laughs> certainly that, that has been a method. It's, it's shorter term than yeah. longer term. I, I hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, so do what, do, what do we do? I think that there are several options for us. And, you know, as I, I've been asking the same question of, you know, HR directors and the bigger systems, the small clinics, just asking what it, anything are you doing that's helping? And here, here are a few things that have come out of it. One is that in the interview process, you know, I've, you and I have gone into length about what good interviewing processes look like. And they're extended. They're a little bit lengthier than the average and for good reason. But in this point in time, we one of the things that is an absolute necessity is to be fast. You know, we were I dipped into a interview process for a receptionist just recently for one of our clinics, and I got scooped on like eight applicants in a row because they already took another job. And so I don't want to recommend decreasing the quality of of your interview process, but you've got to be doing something to quicken it up. So whether that's, you know, I used to message people on Indeed and have them respond to me. Maybe I'm calling them right away to set a phone interview. Maybe I waited until after the in-person interview to check references. Not anymore. If I can get references in hand right after the phone interview, I'm, I'm working on them. I used to break up a working interview and a one-on-one interview. Now I just extend the, the in-person interview by half an hour or an hour. So now it's a, a two-hour interview, but we're getting all of those things done so that by the time we're done with that in-person interview, we have all the information we need and we're offer ready so that when that person, you know, when we're done, I know that everybody on the team has, has checked in. I've done my reference checks. I've checked online. I've done these things. I've had my questions answered for da, 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 da. I have an offer letter ready to go if this is the right person. What that means is doing a lot more work than what I ever did before, because I would never lift a finger on it on half these things until I was sure this is the right person or that I was at least 90, you know, 75% confident. And so it's a lot of work beforehand, but you got to be offer ready. That's the competitive edge right now. Because too many people are calling, doing a phone interview and saying, okay, you want to work tomorrow? And we're just getting scooped. Every work time. tomorrow, get paid more yeah. and here, take home two weeks worth of pay. Yes. Yeah. As exactly. a bonus. Exactly. And what we're saying, let's be clear here. We're not saying take any shortcuts. What no. we're saying is that- Rearrange your process. Exactly. And condense the work instead of, you know, where the risk is lying today is that we're losing clients because we're too slow. Before it was, we don't want to waste our time doing all this extra work for candidates that we don't feel is good or good enough. You know, mm-hmm. the sad, sad thing, sad reality is that the bar is set so much lower right now. And it so is. because there's just a smaller pool, so we can be a little bit, we've got to take the risk of doing more work up front because then we know just like in your case, you know, there's seven or eight candidates that you would have hired, yeah. but they already took a job. Yeah, I and love that's it. that's a lot of wasted energy, right? So we're trading off. Where do we want to waste energy? <laughs> Let's do it up front because we think that's actually in the hole. That's going to be a lot less wasted energy than going through the process, calling them up and saying you're great, and they're like, "Yeah, you're calling me at my new employer 
find my new job. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'll call you back if I, if it doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love your thinking. It makes me feel better about putting that work up front that it's just compensating for wasted energy in another area. So it's not necessarily extra work. It's just trading where you want to spend your yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, in totally. And it's just in time, hopefully that's going to shift and we're going to reassess mm-hmm. and we're going to say, Hey, you know, we've spent too much time pre-qualifying yeah. because most of them aren't going to work out. We're just in a different phase we and we really need employees. We do. So let's adjust, right? We're always trying to learn anything else. Any other, you know, thoughts, yeah. tactics? What are other things to think about? We talked a little bit earlier about how people's canteens are empty, right? You know, whatever metaphor you want to use that our resiliency is not there. We're, we're tired. We're burned out. We're, we're, we don't see the, the light at the end of the tunnel anymore. And so people need something. <laughs> they need some sort of pick me up, whether that's fun at work or, you know, maybe something deeper in the form of employer paid counseling, the taco, you know, bringing a taco truck over to the clinic on Fridays. I don't know what it is, but people need something extra at this point to help them cope with the day to day. That's huge. I don't know what the answer is. And I think every, this is an area where it's fine to let everybody kind of think for themselves on what that might look like, but whether it's, you know, purchasing swag for your team or, or sending them on little trips or gift cards or bringing in a drink order, I don't know what it is, but people need to pick me up. That's for sure. You know, I'm, I might get some heat for saying this, that a silver lining here, I think is highlighting this notion that we can be a lot better to our people, especially mm-hmm. those people that interact with our patients the most. You know, we, we see that providers interact with patients a lot, but if you look at, at it, it's really the, you know, it's the front office and the MAs that are mm-hmm. doing most of that connection. And man, how can we elevate them? How can we empower them? How can we, yeah. they, they feel through actions? And, and this is very much an experimentation. Mm-hmm. We don't have it. This is new frontier. We can do better. And now we have some time to go through those experiments to yeah. say, you know, what sticks and what doesn't. And ultimately right. every, every clinic can be different. Everyone, everyone has a different culture, but you know, yeah. this is more of a call to action. Let's experiment. Let's mm-hmm. find things. Let's keep pushing and, and keep saying that, you know what, we should appreciate our people more. We should have them saying, there's no way I'm going to leave this place. What yeah. we do and how we do it and how I feel doing it is so important to me that I'm going to stick this out. And we have a lot to work to, to get to that point. Absolutely. But that should be the, you know, the thought process here. I want to share an example of a a physician. I saw this last week. I won't name him because he'd be embarrassed. And he did this for all the right reasons, not to be highlighted at all, but he showed up at the clinic on his day off and grabbed a couple people's cars and took them and got them detailed and cleaned out. You know, it was, it was just the sweetest little thing. He didn't make a big, loud proclamation about it, but he went and took care of his people. That kind of stuff, you know, really lifts people up. And I think that we all need to be able to see the good in one another a little bit more. And yeah, you know, what a neat guy that would take time on his day off to go do that. Uh. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think this idea of it's hard and my heart is harder than your heart. Mm-hmm. It's something that we really need to resist because it's hard for everybody. Right. And, and everyone yeah. has things that are hard that they're dealing with. It's just a tough time. Mm-hmm. And I think we can't say, well, pity me because my life hard is, is the person you're sitting next to is, is going through the same thing, yes. the same 
it's a different thing, but it's still hard. Right. Yeah. And so how can we put, push that aside and say, you know, if we give more than we get, we're going to be so much better. And, mm-hmm. and this is a great time to, to really push that culture, you know, and, and try to live by it. And then hopefully, you know, by the leadership, you, you get more buy-in and yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, in doing so, you know, it's like the fourth quarter, 30 seconds left, but it's really not. It's like, we're on Groundhog's day of the fourth quarter, 30 seconds left of just doing it, <laughs> you know, exhausted. That's exactly how it feels. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, let me, let me take, you know, that point and, and move it in a different direction. I recently, you know, been, been thinking a lot about the idea that if you assume that somebody is going through a hard time, you're probably right. And trying to help find resources for that. I think that now more than ever, mental health care, mental health care is, is top of the list and making sure that your employees know that, you know, first removing the stigma for them to reach out and use that resource because we all need it Two, removing the obstacles to get there. You know, quite often the employee assistance program that your, you know, your business has is on a waiting list or it can't get accepted anywhere. And so, you know, people stop seeking help because financially they don't know how to access mental health care. I think that that's probably one of the key things in the retention area that is a much more profound benefit than taco truck on Fridays. It's, you know, creating an accessible path for them to get to the right help that they need. I have found myself being more of a counselor lately, and I'm not equipped to do that. And these people are. So how do I get the person in front of me to go to the professional that can truly help them? I think that that's, we have to be doing that and doing it proactively. We need to be checking in on our people, seeing how they're doing and and getting them to the right resources. 100%. What do you think about you know, just, just with shortages, certainly in our market, markets that we serve with MAs, what do you think about this notion of, you know, how can we pull from other industries and train up? Mm. Is that a viable path? And is that something that we can actually do in the clinic? I think so. This is new to me. This is something that I learned about this week, actually, Jay. I'm glad you asked about it. There are a number of organizations that are using apprenticeship programs and most of them are local to the, like we have a local Idaho version and there's a few in Washington where they're bringing on good people who do not have any experience or certification as a medical assistant. And they're using this apprenticeship thing and the in-clinic training to grow their own people. For far too long, it's been hard to get an MA, Jay. That's probably one of the hardest positions, at least in our area, to fill. It was always interesting that I would post an MA position and a nurse position, and I would have 20 nurse applicants and three MA applicants. It never made sense to me. Right. Yeah. But this is, I think, a a path and hopefully a viable one. It's new to me. And so I don't have experience in it, but it's, it's worth investigating. Yeah. You think about it. You think about the mechanics, the economics of it, where you've got, you know, you look online, you can have an MA kind of in, in one of these trade schools. MA certification, which is really just a prep, right? What they do is they prep you to take tests, accredited national test. Mm-hmm. But essentially, you're going to pay eight to ten thousand dollars to go through this eight month course to then have to go and get 160 hours of of on the job training. Yeah, and you know the, the funny thing there is that could we do it in a clinic? And could we say you're going to work for free for three months as a trade off? Mm-hmm. And in three months, 
you're going to be an MA. I, I don't know the logistics there, yeah. right? Yeah. There still needs to be a test and we still need to supplement that education. But in my mind, we're going to have real world on the job training and it's not going to cost the student anything, you know, comparison to having to spend 10 grand for not being able to work here. You're actually getting your hours, plus you're getting training, plus you're working in a real life thing. And it doesn't cost you anything. Sure. You're not getting paid, but you're not getting paid necessarily while you're going to school. Yeah. And you're putting money in. It's a negative. Absolutely. So can you shift that? And so can then you think about your clinic as this, you know, you're basically this engine of initially, you know, you're, you're winning the students winning. And at the end of the day, the end of the three months or six months or whatever it's going to be, you've got this opportunity where that, you know, that student becomes a full-time employee. I wonder, I wonder if that can work. It's possible. It's very possible. Let me, you know, Jay, let me shift you a bit. Cause I, I love this idea. I think that there's just shifting gears a little bit. We have to address pay at this point. hundred um, percent. You know, we're, I am not anti-hospital. And so I want to just put that up front, but I am pro independent medical group. And so sometimes that puts me at odds with the hospital's actions. Right. Yeah, well, um, that, knowing that, that makes the hosp- only one of us, that makes one of us, um, uh, <laughs> only one of us is anti, you know, not anti-hospital. <laughs> That's for another day. Sure but, is. You know, they have deep pockets and they are adjusting their pay scales and they're providing retention bonuses and they're providing sign-on bonuses and they are kicking our butts. You know, you can go and get two to, to four differentials at the hospital and be making, you know, two to three times as much as what I can pay you in this clinic. Obviously we can't adjust that high, but we've got to do something to be more competitive. I know that one of the local hospitals just adjusted their pay scales to where the bare minimum is much higher than it was. And so we have to look at our pay scales and most likely make a bump up. And then we have to find ways. I have never been a fan of sign-on and retention bonuses. I just am not a fan. However, my opinion doesn't mean squat in this moment <laughs> because that's what the competition is doing. And so, yeah, that's our landscape right there. It is, it is. And so, you really have to get either bite the bullet and do it or find some creative way of getting additional dollars to do it. And we were fortunate enough to see a grant come through Idaho to help supplement pay increases and sign on bonuses and stuff like that to help make independent clinics competitive when it came to retaining and recruiting good people, but that's not everywhere. And that's not, you know, that's only happening right now. It's a one-time thing. So, Oh, what else do you do? Other ideas, Jay, in watching one of our administrators, she has adjusted her staffing model and has, you know, removed one of the positions that supported all of the different MAs. You know, we'd have three providers going, each of them would have their own medical assistant. And then we'd have a runner that would help support all of them and take care of all the things that would distract from rooming, uh, vaccines, blood draws. That position probably isn't going to be in place. You know, everybody's going to have to do their own thing. It's, you know, do we hold off on expanding to weekends and night hours? Do we maybe ask a provider for the time being? Do we pull back on provider hours or have providers maybe do more of the clinical operations than they have been? To, to help support the holes that we're experiencing in our schedules. So that's, that's another option is looking at your workflows and seeing where you can shift and shift work 
to compensate for the holes in your schedule. Yeah. I'll throw out another one just, yeah, just as a, an interesting idea. I think that, you know, the, the industry, certainly smaller medical practices, you know, have entertained this idea of some sort of self-check-in, you know, reimagine the smaller clinic mm-hmm. and imagine if there was just an iPad sitting on a chair. Mm. And I think that's met with significant resistance because one, it really relies on the tech savviness of, of the patients and man, that might work for 50% of the people, but what about the other 50%? And sometimes it's, it's a lot more, sometimes it's less, right? So give and take there. But there was this, something I heard that kind of re-engaged that mindset or that Mm -hmm. thought, that idea, which is what if there was a more of a remote front desk person Mm -hmm. where it wasn't just a, an iPad sitting on chair that you'd pick up and fill out, call your stuff and check in. But what if it was a, the actual computer monitor with a little camera and there was someone sitting in another room in a different time zone, even that basically greeted you, walked you through the process. Hey, you know, pick that thing up right there. I'm going to talk you through how to, how to do it. You're going to click this. You're going to click that. Okay. Everything's looking good. Okay. Well, wait a minute. I, you know, I need your insurance card. I need your, you know, updated things. So let me get that information. Awesome. You know, the, the MA or the nurse is going to come right and get you. Just want you to sit down and hang out. And then that person then shifts over to maybe another clinic and checks in someone else, right? And maybe another clinic. And, and so, as, you know, depending on, on the volume, maybe this person could be more dedicated. You can go outside of your, you know, your local region to hire someone. I just wonder if we can get to a stage there where one, we save a decent amount of space. We don't have to have the like multitasker, on steroids mm-hmm. of the front desk that does everything and too much and doesn't have that one-on-one really, really dedicated time. I wonder if we could start thinking about that. And there's a little room to grow an experiment. And it doesn't mean that this is the right way. This is the only way, but it is intriguing. Yeah. How do we leverage? How do we leverage remote, more specific, more specialized, more patient engaged interactions there? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what I've always loved with a lot of the dental practices that I go into is that they are very, very keen on saying, Hey, Jay, you know, good to see you. Why don't you sit down? We're going to be right with you. They know me. Yeah. And, and I don't get that with most medical practices. I don't, they, they're, you know, the, the schedule is there. Sure. Maybe it's, be, I, and I don't know why, but we just don't see that same kind of, you know, really patient appreciation connection. They know me, they know who's coming up, make sure to do all that stuff. So maybe that's a way to not only really you know, grow the pool of candidates that you could Mm -hmm. maybe look nationwide or even bigger, but also make it a better experience for the patient where the patient's like, man, you know, I loved whoever was sitting up here before, but this experience was 10 times better. Yeah. I think what it does is it opens the doors to, you know, what can we automate? What technology can we use? What was it? Our, our former mentor and CEO, Jim Trounson used to say, you know, never, never waste a crisis, right? Like maybe this is the time to make some much needed adjustments that we wouldn't have done without being pushed, you know, like how we're being pushed now. I, yeah, I absolutely. It. So yeah. some of the greatest outcomes come from restraints that are forced upon you mm-hmm. that make you think differently, right? That And, and think, oftentimes we Think don't. about telehealth, Jay. Telehealth was always this thing like, oh yeah, you know, telehealth is the future, but nobody did it. Like very few clinics did it. And then all of a sudden within 
15 days of COVID, you know, we're April 1st and everybody has telehealth going. <laughs> yeah. That was amazing. You know, it yeah. was, it was a, obviously, you know, there is technology enabling, right. But it was, it was, you know, at the very least we're going to have zoom and right, that can, right. you know, that's low barrier to enter. We're understand it. Boom. We can, we can do it. Right. You just kind of like the, you know, the iPhone, the smartphone, that idea was around for a long time. Technology just had to catch up to it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of also helped, but certainly the crisis of, you know, just the in-person patient visits, just, yeah, just feeling risky Yeah, and technology well, was there. It's the crisis. Boom. Yep. You know it. Jay, one, one more thing yeah, before let's, we let's end, do it. you know, I think that what this moment is calling most leaders to do is to also check in on themselves and make sure that they are creating the kind of culture and using the kind of leadership that helps people feel trusted, valued, and appreciated. You know, people are tired, but they recognize when that they're in a good place for most of the time. And I think that it's incumbent upon leaders to double check themselves right now and make sure that they're providing that kind of place for people. That goes a long ways, hopefully, for the right kind of people. I'm glad you said that. Absolutely. We can't just, you know, to take care of others, we need to make sure we're taking care of ourselves too. So that's a great place to end. Good stuff, Jesse, you know, and listeners out there, we don't have it figured out. We're in the same boat here. We're doing the best we can. These are some ideas. These are things that are top of mind. And hopefully, you know, there's, there's a takeaway or two that, that you can take back to your clinic. You can take back, you know, on on your commute and start thinking about stuff and, and maybe it'll turn into some positive action, more staffing, better staffing and all that stuff. And so again, you know, thank you for tuning in today. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jesse talking about retention recruitment in these tough times, you know, for the show notes, transcripts, and all this material and all the other stuff that MedMan does head over to our website at medman.com. If you're interested and look out for episodes every week because they continue to come. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for tuning in to the medical management podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's featured guest. For the show notes, transcripts, resources, and everything else MedMan does to help you level up, be sure to visit us at medman.com.